This year, we're celebrating 20 years of Glass Tire. That's 20 years of dedicated coverage of Texas art spaces and artists, 20 years of hard work by our editors and writers, and 20 years of showing the world all our state has to offer. Since we're a nonprofit, all of our work is made possible thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you'd like to donate to Glass Tire to keep our work going, you can become a sustaining donor or make a one-time gift at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Also, if you like our podcast, please consider subscribing to us and leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt, uh, where we talk about what we call topical art topics. Um, My name is Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zeck. And um, this week we're going to talk about, so this was prompted by an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago about um, the mayor of Southampton Village in the Hamptons uh, mandating that empty storefronts... um, in the village on the high street, uh, display artwork in their windows. Otherwise empty storefronts that should be for rent are vacant because of COVID they're vacant because it's winter time. But instead of standing vacant, um, all the time, the, the, uh, store owners, the property owners are meant to pair up with either the kind of the art uh, alliance of the, of the town, uh, which will pair them up with an artist to put art in that window, that storefront window or, um, they can do it independently. But anyway, it's all about sort of getting out of a certain sort of uh, potential tax fine um, for having just an empty storefront. But the whole, so anyway, we were just, we wanted to take a look at artwork in windows, which of course, over the course of this pandemic has become something that's really taken off as people have, you know, tried to look at art primarily through screens online. Uh, what also has become very popular is for art spaces that have a, a storefront window, a plate glass window that you can see through to put artwork up that people can just see from their either their cars when they drive up to the place or walking by. Um, and there's lots of precedent for this. And this kind of thing has actually been going on since well before COVID. Uh, but it seems to be a trend and, and it's kind of a strange, if you think about it, it's also kind of an interesting, uh, dichotomy in that also over COVID, a lot of windows have been boarded up because of protests that have gotten somewhat violent or people, um, looters breaking into storefronts or so on and so forth. There are large, you know, sections of Manhattan where the storefronts are boarded up. There's, uh, sections in other large cities where, uh, windows have been boarded up for a long time or, you know, were boarded up for a long stretch of time. But so that's a kind of a strange tension or a push pull between the two things. But a lot of those stores actually obviously had inventory in them. So but anyway, this the idea that we're going to take this kind of storefront trend and take it into big cities, including Manhattan, possibly is an interesting one. But anyway, what what were you looking at in the course of your research for um, this? Well, you know, one of the things is that um Surprisingly, Texas kind of has a a significant history of artists and art spaces using windows. I mean, even pre-pandemic. Um, and I, I I say it's surprising, or I think it's a little surprising, specifically because 
Texas, you know, it's not, none of the cities are really that walkable. So these window displays, um, some of them are kind of on, not necessarily like highways or major roads, but but they're on, on roads where you're not just going to be walking down, passing them traditionally. I'm thinking of, um, specifically, there's one in Houston, or there was one in Houston that really hasn't been active, but it was started in 2011. It was um, site-specific exhibitions commissioned by the Blaffer Art Museum, and it was called uh, Window into Houston. And it was people like, I mean, they, they ran quite a few uh, site-specific commissions, exhibitions, whatever you want to call them, for that space. It was people like Vincent Valdez, Shane Tolbert, Kelly O'Connor, Jeff Shore, John Fisher, um, a, a wide array of Houston and Texas-based artists. And right around the time I believe I started at Glass Tire, these were kind of wrapping up. And I remember seeing quite a few of them and you know, trying to find a parking spot in an area near downtown Houston where this was happening and having to get out of my car and walk a couple blocks to go see it. And it was always just a really interesting choice. It was uh, the fact that, you know, these artists had the space and that I believe Jim Peterson, who uh, owned this building, gave them the opportunity to do it, but also that it was a weird thing that people may or may not realize is there, may or may not even see. But there's a ton of other spaces that are like this, like Box 13 in Houston's East End has a window space that always has a show in it. Rice Gallery, which uh, doesn't exist anymore, but was on Rice University's campus, was basically like a big fishbowl. So the windows were how you saw uh, a lot of the shows, uh, some of which you couldn't even necessarily enter into the space. There's Icosa in Austin, which ever since they moved to uh, a building kind of in this gallery complex called Canopy, they've used their window space, especially during the pandemic. Um, there are a few others that have really come up since the pandemic, like uh, Christina in Dallas, the Nasher Sculpture Center has started doing window shows, a few of which we've covered. Yeah, they've, they've been very active with that, and they must be on their probably their fifth or sixth show at this point. And they're, um, they're commissioning Dallas-based artists to fill those windows with art and I think it's been pretty successful that you know there are commercial galleries um, that have big plate glass windows uh, and there have been shows we're only meant to see through the window Hiram Butler um, I think you know Barry Whistler has used his big windows there's a gallery that opened during COVID called Blind Alley and that's what it is is it's a it's a window that you look through and that's all it is. It's a shallow space. It's on West fourth street in um, Fort worth. It's owned by two artists owned and run by two artists. We know and love Cam Shep and Terry Thornton. And the first four shows during COVID were the master thesis shows of for students at TCU. They were um, students of, uh, of Cam Shep. And I'd say that's a really successful space. They've had some really cool stuff in that. It's a tiny space. Very cool. Um, but yeah, and then there's, you know, when you think about gallery spaces and museums, another thing that came to mind when we toured the kinder building, one of the, one of the talking points about the new kinder building at the MFAH is that there are big windows along the entire ground floor and you're going to be able to see art through, through it. And, um, which is unusual for a museum, a major museum. If you think about all the museums in the world, you can rarely see, you know, the museum level art through any windows, you got to go into the thing. And of course, there's museums that are built along much more traditional architecture, ranging from kind of neoclassical all the way up through, you know, brutalism. 
there just aren't windows on the ground floor. So um, that'll be interesting. And that is about sort of meeting foot traffic. That's like um, a way that's meant to welcome the public in, um, you know, before they even set foot in the door. When you think about it, I mean, these museums that are doing this and especially the galleries that kind of play on those windows in Texas, it's a little like we said earlier in Texas, it's a little less so because you're driving. And if you're going to a gallery in Texas, it's probably because you know where you're going and you're stopping your car in front of it and walking in. But especially in places like New York, where galleries really take advantage of these kind of sight lines or, or the kinder building for that matter, that gives you a little peek of what the museum is offering. It's no different than department stores. And I mean, there is such, yeah, there, there's such a, um, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all because, No, you know, uh, so many artists nowadays and even kind of going back into history, so many artists have uh, had jobs as product display uh, designers for department store windows. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're window dressers. And we it's a wonderful list of people we know. Of course, obviously, Andy Warhol was a commercial artist um, before he became what we know uh, Andy Warhol is. And uh, and he dressed windows at Bonwit Teller, as did uh, Robert Rauschenberg and um, Jasper Johns, yeah. James Rosenkist. Uh, they all dressed windows in New York City. Only some of them did it under a pseudonym because they didn't yeah. want it to bleed over to their artistic practice. Which is funny, too, because there are people who've really made their name being amazing window dressers, the most famous being Simon Doonan of Barney's uh, fame, who in the 80s made those windows sing. That whole tradition continues in New York City, and the Christmas windows in New York City, the last time I walked around for hours and hours and hours in 2017 to look at all the windows during Christmas time. In Manhattan, it was still just wonderful. That was a particularly great year for windows, but all the major department stores on the Upper East Side had all of their um, their cool stuff uh, out, and the windows are spectacular. And they and they actually do employ artists, real artists, to do them. Christina, similarly, I was in New York in twenty nineteen. And when all the windows were dressed up, it was December, uh, early December. And I had never walked around the windows. And when we said we were going to have this conversation today, the first thing I thought of was about, you know, maybe a little more than a month ago, we did a holiday themed podcast where you mentioned walking around New York and, and looking at all those windows. And I knew that was going to come up again, because I mean, that's kind of the pinnacle of window display, you know, not to say anything against art spaces that have window, uh, exhibition opportunities, but I feel like you can't ever beat like a true New York Christmas holiday window display, or at least none of the exhibitions that are window specific that I've seen have uh, truly been able to do that. And I don't know if it's because, you know, the way that you approach uh, a window exhibition, it has to be different than you approach any other type of show. And I don't think most artists even if they realize that you have to approach it differently, I I don't think that mode of working is natural to them if they haven't done something like it before. Because I've seen window exhibitions that have tried to kind of be real exhibitions or that's just, you know, paintings kind of hung in the window or things like that. And it's, it's never as successful as it could be. Like someone that I'm thinking of that is really successful, on the other hand, is Tony Fayer when he would do his window installations in blue tape and he would layer the blue tape on the windows and make it almost come out like stained glass. I think those pieces really sung. And that was, you know, kind of the, the 
pinnacle perfect example of a site specific use of a window space. And and yes, that's absolutely true. And there are there are some limitations I think that artists will meet when they when they first look at what is kind of that that strange shallow interior space behind a plate glass window where there's they're meant to install something. We'll get to more of that in just a second. Yeah, but first, here are a few quick words from one of our sponsors for this week's podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored in part by Texas Talks Art, a new series of virtual 30-minute lunchtime conversations. The talks feature curators from Texas's leading cultural institutions and the most exciting artists from across the Lone Star State. Tune in every Tuesday at noon CST for these virtual talks, which are happening throughout 2021. All of the talks are free and open to the public, and you can see the full schedule and register for upcoming talks at texastalksart.org. And we're back. So, uh, you know, there are a few other window projects in Texas that we actually haven't mentioned. Um, one that I was thinking about was uh, ArtPace had window works exhibitions. Uh, ArtPace in San Antonio had series of window works exhibitions that were meant to be viewed from inside and also from uh, outside on the window of, I believe, uh, North Main going past the building. And then Christina in Dallas, um, there was a deep Elm Windows project for a while, right? Yeah, there was. It was around 2013, and it was headed up by Jeff Gibbons and Justin Ginsburg. Justin Ginsburg started it and brought Jeff Gibbons into it. A developer named Scott Rohrman, uh, back around that time, had started just buying up Deep Elm. And so when a developer gets a hold of a whole lot of buildings and is not quite sure what to do with it, we kind of get back to this cycle of creative people sort of driving investment in these undervalued neighborhoods and if you want to call Deep Ellum undervalued. But for a while they did these cycles of shows that it was called Deep Ellum Windows. It was a little misleading because a lot of the art was actually inside the buildings, these empty buildings. But it was a way to get crowds down there and get people down there and keep things a little bit safe. So one of the reasons to me that, you know, the Manhattan Christmas windows work so well and like clockwork and there's usually a whole lot of like mechanical kind of motorized stuff. There's, you know, there are special effects. I mean, they're so um, elaborate and complex, but you have to think about the fact that those are stores that are up and running. You know, these are major department stores that um, have a full-time staff and full-time electricity and running water and everything else. And so the idea that you you can go in and turn these window installations on every morning and have them work and have the maintenance happen in a disused, vacant building, which some of these are now for these window projects, there are, you don't have the people and the infrastructure to keep that kind of really, really elaborate sort of installation going. So it would take the artist's sort of having to be there every single day, which I'm sure lots of artists are, you know, industrious enough to do that. But you probably aren't going to see some of the ultra, ultra complex and also very expensive sort of window displays. I'd love to see that start to take place, though. It's like, you know, artists are so innovative and resourceful that putting some really, really kick-ass stuff in windows is certainly, it's go right in their wheelhouse. But um, I was thinking about things that aren't really meant to be anything other than what they are. Um, what was the one, uh, what was the one that Aurora Picture Show did with, uh, Houston Downtown Management? Sidewalk Cinema. 
Those were big video screens. I mean, there's nothing to it. It's just a matter of plugging the thing in and turning it on. And I think they just ran 24 hours. I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, it was part of a new uh, public art project called Art Blocks that was uh, downtown in Houston. I believe that was back in uh, around 2017. It feels a lot more recent than that. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like that is one of the ways to kind of get around actually having to do anything physical. And it works just as well, at least as long as it's uh, nighttime and if it's a walkable area. Um, I, I feel like, you know, going back to the Wall Street Journal article, which is kind of the reason that we thought of this topic to talk about, it kind of mirrors a conversation, Christina, that you and I had on Art Dirt. Uh, I don't know, mid last year about why so many of these spaces may be vacant, um, especially in Manhattan and New York, uh, because instead of leasing for under retail value and kind of losing all of that money, it's more profitable for these landlords to keep the spaces vacant and then be able to claim the full value as a loss. Um, and I, I'm wondering how much that kind of plays into some decisions, you know, in this Southampton situation in the Wall Street Journal article, but also just in general, in general uses of windows as art spaces um, or as pop-up spaces. Because I feel like so often in these stories, just like the Debellum story that you talked about, it is the collaboration with landlords or it's landlords being like, well, we're holding on to this or we don't know what's going on. So we'll just throw it to some artists to spruce up the neighborhood. It's like pseudo gentrification. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's not a whole lot behind it. I mean, so to speak, you know, I mean, there's something behind the glass, but what else is going on? And I wouldn't rely on artwork in a storefront window to, to revitalize an entire neighborhood. I don't think that that's, I don't think it's enough, but, um, there would be some controversy naturally coming out of this if more and more cities or more municipalities started to mandate this because obviously landlords don't like being told what to do. But um, if they start to leverage fines uh, to landlords who don't have, you know, who don't participate in this project, that's where the controversy is going to come in. They don't want to be fined thousands of dollars for not putting art in the window. Well, that's such an interesting choice also. I mean, that seems almost... I don't know. I mean, I know you kind of have to have a, a carrot and a stick or else stuff isn't going to happen. But to have a fine for not putting art in your window, that's such a that concept honestly kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it's so the opposite of what we're used to, which is, you know, the art is always the last thing, you know, to be brought into any sort of. Uh, commercial enterprise. It may be the thing that regentrifies a neighborhood, but it's not necessarily the thing that landlords and building owners are thinking of. If if you had a really really empty high street, just deserted, vacant storefronts all the way down, and you could put art in all those windows, and I'm sure people would go look at it. But without people living in that neighborhood and breathing life into it, you know. Yes, it beautifies, I guess, if you want to call it that, although I think enough artists are being as adventurous as they want to be. I don't know how beautiful the uh, entries would be, but, um, you know, there's there are parameters on, on this. They're saying it can't be anything that would offend children, obviously. It can't be anything that would uh, be particularly political, which yeah. I think is interesting, considering that's really what public art is right now, is highly political, 
And um, most of the stuff that we're seeing being launched in public, whether it's murals or street paintings or graffiti or even things in private storefronts, it's, it's highly political messaging uh, by artists who are responding to our current moment, as you may, may imagine. Which is not to say that there's not still just beautiful art being made just for the sake of beauty. But um, if I were a Southampton's store owner... I would want, of course, the most bizarre, head-scratching, insane window installation (laughs) that you can think of. And maybe it would be incredibly simple, or maybe it would be very, very complicated. I don't know. But the idea behind it would be bonkers. Um, But um, certainly Texas is full of artists who are capable of all of that. And the other thing is that... You know, a high street or what we would consider, you know, a main drag. I'm using this old English term, high street, but that's what I mean, a a shopping thoroughfare. You know, they're not big old warehouses. These aren't places for artist studios. These aren't necessarily neighborhoods that need re-gentrification. They just need some stuff in the windows to keep things looking like there's still some sign of life. And so it is a temporary thing. I don't think any of these uh, shop owners have any intention of continuing this. I mean, once they open up again, they're going to need their own storefronts again. But um, it's a strange kind of little Band-Aid is what it is, I think. And um, But I do think that there must be a whole lot of galleries in Texas and beyond that would have been grateful to have had a big storefront window during this time uh, if they don't. Most of them don't. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I would have programmed my window if I still had road agent and a big front window. I did not. I love the problem. I love the I love the problem solving um, aspect of this. What's what's better or uh, uh, what would you rather see, Christina, an online viewing room of an entire <laughs> exhibition or a, a window installation that's more limiting, but an actual thing? Oh, don't make me choose. <laughs> Which would you? I feel like if the window project were really cool, yeah. I would go the window route because there are so many. I mean, it doesn't have to be something that's saleable. Like that's that's the thing about these types of projects. I, I feel like even, you know, there are galleries that don't have windows that have tried to do these types of projects. And it would be the kind of thing that you would do like on a window with vinyl or in front of the window. I'm thinking uh, specifically of Liliana Block Gallery in Dallas. Um, she's been doing these large scale kind of I guess you could call them large public art sculptures on the side of her building. And her gallery is in a building that does not have windows. It's kind of back set into the building. Um, But you know, it's a, it's a way to try and program that space like you would a window. Right. I mean, that's the thing is if anything that's purpose built for a specific environment, I would rather see that than art online that was not necessarily meant to be consumed online you know um obviously i'd rather see the thing in the space where it was intended to be that's that's always better um but i you know but i'd still like to see something sort of ambitious i guess even if it's just if it's just conceptually ambitious rather than materially but yeah i i uh i don't know i think that this this will continue as we continue to talk about like what is going to be the new normal we don't know and we really don't know I think this is part of a larger trend, COVID or not. It's about making communities more truly accessible and inclusive. 
making people who are bothering to be pedestrians or who have to be pedestrians, giving them something to look at, making them feel part of the community, giving the community a kind of a face and a feeling and a flavor. And I think that's all really, really nice. Obviously, if, you know, if I had to choose between a vacant storefront and a storefront with some art in it, I would obviously pick pick the art, mostly, unless it's bad art. And then, and in which case, I'd really just rather see the... I the will bones say this, of the store that are yeah, left I'd just over. rather see, yeah, I'd just rather look into, inside the building and see what it looks like. Exactly. You got to keep those windows clean, by the way. I say this as I'm right now staring at my uh, windows, which are filthy, and I need to get out the Windex and get after them. There's been some construction around here recently and it threw a ton of dust at my windows. I like this development and I like that it's yet just another thing that people are coming up with, you know, this initiative, this idea of like, what else can we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It's all problem solving. We're all just problem solving as we go along. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it has such a long history in Texas, surprisingly enough, like I said at the top of this already, that uh, I think it'll just grow and continue. Yeah, I do too. And I think people will, will start to kind of keep that in mind. Even if they're looking at new real estate, they may be like, Oh, I want my gallery to have a window. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I would consider that or not, if I was in the market for looking for new gallery space, but I I would consider it. Um, Again, Houston and Dallas, you know, our biggest cities aren't necessarily that walkable, but they do have walkable sections. You know, that's really probably where to tackle this. But uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how all this shakes out. And that's it for this week. That is it for this week, everyone. Stay safe. If you go out and see some stuff, maybe double mask this week. Uh, And uh, either see some art or go see some art. Go see some art. Thanks for listening. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Texas Talks Art a new series of virtual 30-minute lunchtime conversations. The talks feature curators from Texas's leading cultural institutions and the most exciting artists from across the Lone Star State. Tune in every Tuesday at noon CST for these virtual talks, which are happening throughout the entire year of 2021. All of the talks are free and open to the public, and you can see the full schedule and register for upcoming talks at Texas Talks Art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2021.